Welcome to the Progress Your Health podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progress Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. So how are you doing this morning? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. 2020 is moving along. It sure is. Uh, a little bit of a hiccup earlier in the year, but, uh, uh, you know, we're, uh, we survived. We're all making it through. Uh, we're going to continue, um, you know, answering some more questions. Uh, this one uh, also is pertaining to thyroid um, uh uh, and this is um, uh, from Lisa. So, Dr. Davis, why don't you go ahead and read it from Lisa? Sure. So, Lisa is a podcast listener, hence we're doing the podcast. But she has a question um, based on episode 38, which seems like light years away. <laughs> yeah, it seems like it was so long ago. <laughs> that we did that episode 38. But her um, episode 38 was, do you have a low free T level? So, Lisa's question is, I have a free T4 of 1.5, a TSH of 3.09, and I have a free T3 of 2.7. Do these seem like they are within parameters? My ENT says everything is fine with my numbers, and my vitamin D is 26.5. Yeah, right. So this is, uh, in some ways, in contrast to Danette that we talked about, uh, in some ways, almost exactly the opposite. Uh, so here, uh, her TSH is already on the high end of normal, 3.0. You know, that's a little bit of a red flag for us, right? Uh, when we talked about Danette, her number was point, I don't remember exactly what it was, I think it was like 0.82 or something. So way on the low end of normal, now here, her number is on the complete high end of normal. Um, right away, that automatically puts up some red well, flags. Why don't you reiterate, you know, what TSH does and what does it mean when it's high and when it's low? Uh, well, why don't you do that? Okay, I will. Well, I did that on Danette and I will do it with Lisa just for those of you, which I'm sure you already know because many of our podcast listeners are, you know, know this stuff forwards and backwards. But if somebody has a high TSH, a thyroid stimulating hormone, which is a signal that comes from the brain, if that TSH is high, that usually indicates that the thyroid function in the body is low. Now, this isn't 100%. A TSH is never, you never want to base someone's thyroid dose or diagnosis or whatnot on a simple, you know, TSH number. But I love to get the input. Any objective data that we can get is better. So a high thyroid stimulating hormone definitely jumps out as saying, hey, you know what? That person's thyroid could be low. And now, of course, a normal TSH range on pretty much most labs ranges from 0.45 to 4.5. So here, you know, Lisa's got a TSH of, you know, almost 3.1. So her ENT is like, okay, it's fine. It's in range. But that's a really broad reference range, 0.45 to 4.5. That's huge. Anytime we see anybody over 2.5, that's a serious red flag. That's like, okay, something's going on with the thyroid. You got to figure it out. Sometimes even when I see it at one, you know, depending on the symptoms, because we could, like we always say is let's treat the person, not the numbers. But anytime, even if you see it over one, then you say, okay, well, let's investigate this. But definitely seeing Lisa's TSH at three point, you know, like I said, almost 3.1 further and, you know, further warrants, you know, some investigation there. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and then uh, moving on to the free T3, uh, 2.7, again, very common to see it in the twos. Um, as opposed to, it, instead, of it, instead of it being 2.7, we like to see it at you know, 3.7. Uh, now, that's not necessarily very common, especially as you know, time goes on. The, the TSH tends to rise and the free T3 tends to go down. We want, from a clinical perspective, we want the exact opposite to happen. We want that TSH to be nice and low. We want the free T3 to be you know, nice and high uh, because usually that's where the patient is or the person's going to feel the best in, in some respect. So her numbers definitely kind of raise some flags there. And I'm glad that her doctor actually ran a free T3. Most docs won't. You know, usually they'll do a TSH, and if the TSH is out of range, then it'll, you know, then they'll reflex to a free T4. So I'm glad that we actually have the free T4, the free T3, and the TSH so we can kind of look at them together. So seeing that TSH up there, you know, almost 3.1, and then that free T3, you know, free T3 gets a little bit confusing because they have huge reference ranges for that on labs. So don't listen to the reference ranges. They're just ridiculous. The reference range for free T3 is 2.2 to 4.4. And anybody in that reference range can be quote unquote normal. So seeing hers at 2.7, anything under 3.0 always triggers me because free T3 is the actual active thyroid hormone. You can have all the T4 in the world, but if you don't have enough free T3, then you're really going to have a lot of symptoms of hypothyroid so her free T4 at 1.5 is actually astonishingly well. Like 1.5 is amazing. Um, you know, usually the, they have this ridiculous reference range again for a free T4 is, you know, a 0.8 to 1.8, but a 1.5 is really good. And those of you that I'm going to be redundant here, I'm sure you already know this, but, you know, the thyroid mainly makes T4 and that travels in the bloodstream. And then with the peripheral tissues, it'll take that T4 and convert it to free T3. So T4 is a very stable molecule. It's got like a seven day half-life. It doesn't really have a lot of activity other than it needs to convert to free T3 to have the activity. Now, free T3 has a very, very short half-life. It's like 24 hours or something like that. It's very short, but it's very active. So you want to make sure you have enough T4 coming out converting to T3. Yeah, right. And this is where we get into treatment. And this is why uh, we differ from the conventional uh, mode of treatment because in this context, if her TSH was a little bit higher, then uh, again, her ENT would prescribe her Synthroid, Levoxyl, Levothyroxine, which is referred to, again, for those of you that know, is T4 monotherapy, which we don't, we don't really ever prescribe T4 monotherapy because uh, she, she already has sufficient T, uh, free T4 where she's lacking is in the free T3. And, excuse me, <coughs> pardon me, um, you know, most women in this kind of situation, they have a problem converting their free T3 anyways, uh, you know, and 60% of that conversion from T4 to T3 happens in the liver. Now, again, as you know, you and I being naturopaths, we always pay attention to the liver. The liver does, you know, uh, you know, in Chinese medicine, they refer to it as the general because it does all these different, you know, metabolic functions on a daily basis. If your liver is overburdened from stress, from alcohol, from caffeine, from, you know, toxins in the environment to metabolic stress to, you know, who knows, now that conversion capability of converting T4 to T3 is going to be diminished. Uh, you're not going to have as much. And then, of course, as time goes on, too, the peripheral tissue, your muscles and everything else that are supposed to be converting T3, T4 to T3 isn't going to happen either. So whether, you know, Lisa is on a T4 monotherapy and that's why her T4 
is 1.5, which is really great, or maybe she's not, and she just makes a really good amount of T4. The problem here is, like Dr. Mackey is saying, is that it's not converting to the free T3. So there is a problem there. So I, I would say, instead of just waiting for that TSH to continue to rise and that T3 to continue to drop, which will happen, you know, if you wait, you know, three months, six months, a year, these n numbers will be, quote unquote, out of normal range for these ridiculously vast reference ranges that the labs have. It, they will be out of range, but do we really want Lisa to suffer for the next, you know, six months to a year when I guarantee just looking at where her free T3 levels are and that TSH, she's probably not feeling real great as is. Yeah, right. And we could almost assume, even though, um, you know, like I said, uh, when it comes to a diagnosis, uh, it can't always be black and white. You know? And when you see a number of 3.1 for a TSH, that's pretty much an abnormal number. Uh, so uh, when you talk about these wide reference ranges, that means that those reference ranges need to be narrowed. Okay, that need, you know, the, four, the, the lower end, the, the 0.45 is, I think, fine. Uh, but the higher end, that 4.5 should be reduced down. I think the American Academy of Clinical Endocrinology recommends that it should be reduced to 2.5. Okay, now, that is kind of a mixed bag because that makes more people potential candidates for medication, but that's in some ways the wrong kind of medication. It makes them more, uh, it makes more candidates available for T4 monotherapy again. Uh, and that, I don't think that does anybody any good. Okay. But there's a large number of people in a case like this where people are being misdiagnosed or underdiagnosed when their numbers actually, you know, actually, uh, uh, go along with the, you know, someone that would. So technically, even though her numbers are still normal across the board, we would definitely put her in that subclinical hypothyroid category, particularly because of the TSH and the low normal free T3. And, you know, if I had a patient that had, you know, similar numbers like this, I would definitely put them on some T3, some compounded sustained release T3. Because when people think of T3, the conventional medicine for T3 is cytomel, which is really just garbage. It's instant release. It's hard on the heart and the cardiovascular system. I would never put anybody on cytomel, would you? I mean, maybe there might maybe. I know there's a lot case. of there's a lot of talk uh, online about cytomel. Uh, you know, people take you know kind of you know some crazy doses of it. They can't take it all at once because it will it will give them cardiovascular symptoms. They'll start getting palpitations or anxiety or um, jitteriness. Uh, so people have to take it multiple doses. You know that's why we we uh, most of the time prefer the sustained release because it's the numbers improve uh, and it's and it's much uh, more tolerated over time. Yeah, you can take it once a day as a sustained release. It doesn't have that input impact on the cardiovascular system. And it doesn't have that impact like you had just mentioned about anxiety. And it has that sustainability throughout the whole 24 hour period. So I, I would def and she would probably feel so much better just raising that free T3 from 2.7, even to 3.4 would probably be dramatic. But ideally, we like to see that around 3.7 to 4.4. If you're looking at perfect numbers, but like we always say, we want to treat the human, not the numbers. So definitely, I um, like Dr. Mackey was saying, she's got, Lisa has definitely got a low free T3, a problem with her conversion from T4 to T3. And also, I would I would diagnose her as hypothyroid with her TSH number. Yeah, right. Yeah. So again, that's where the controversy is because technically she is not hypothyroid because her number is not above four. Her TSH is not above 4.5. Uh, that is the diagnostic criteria for someone being hypothyroid is the TSH only. That's the only number that you go by for a technical diagnosis. And we don't agree. 
3.1 or 3.09 is, uh, in our opinion, is close enough. Uh, and like you said, too, with the TSH of 3.09, she's going to have multiple symptoms there. Uh, so it's the, you know, it's the doctor's discretion to, you know, treat the patient, not the lab test. In this case, you're kind of doing both uh, because more than likely she does not feel great with a TSH of 3.09. And, you know, I know we're talking about free T3, low levels of free T3 and thyroid, but, you know, Lisa does mention that her vitamin D is a little bit low. It's at 26.5. Now, the reference ranges, again, on most labs are ridiculously, you know, vast. They're at 30 to 100, but she is low. She is technically low. Yeah, right. Uh, I mean, you know, I lived in the Southwest for 15 years uh, in a very sun-abundant uh, environment, between Las Vegas and California, uh, and uh, everybody had low normal, if not abnormal, vitamin D levels. Uh, now, I believe, uh, and I, you know, uh, there's probably some, um, you know, some research, whatever, but whether the test is wrong, whether we're testing, uh, we're not test, the test is inaccurate, uh, something is going on here for people that live in the geographic area that should have normal, actually high normal uh, vitamin D levels for everyone to have low. It's not and maybe it is a sunshine problem. I mean, maybe in the desert uh, where we used to live, you know, maybe because people were inside so much in the summertime, um, you know, but that's only three months of the year, you know, um, you know, maybe it, maybe it is a sunshine problem because everyone's indoors all the time. Um, I think it's a more of a sign that there's some kind of inflammatory, uh, some other hormonal process going on that is dragging that vitamin D level down. Possibly, um, but I, I do think, you know, supplementing with vitamin D is a great idea. I love vitamin D. I take it myself, but of course you don't want your num reference ranges to go, you know, too high because vitamin D is technically a hormone and it's technically fat soluble. So taking too much of a fat soluble, anything can store itself in your body and become toxic. But at 26.5, that probably is a little bit on the low end and, you know, they all, you know, vitamin D is great for bone density. If you're a female and we're looking at, you know, keeping our bone density good for years and years and years, vitamin D is a must. But really for me, I love vitamin D for the immune system. I think it's great for the, keeping the immune system strong without overstimulating it. Right, right. Yeah, so certainly with a level of 26.5, you definitely would want to supplement with that. Uh, and then, of course, you know, sleep and metabolic status, you know, insulin, cortisol, those types of things, um, that number should, you know, should rise, you know, from supplementation and then kind of level off. Uh, where, what is your range? Where do you like to see it? Somewhere between, let's say, 45 and 65, somewhere yeah, in that I range? Yeah, I like 55. I think if, um, you know, if you can maintain right around 55 to 60, that's perfect because you're never going to take too much to end up going over 100. And and, you know, I have had patients that take too much vitamin D and we check their reference ranges and I'm like, you're taking too much vitamin D. It's 120. We don't want that chronically. So usually um, if you can kind of keep it around 55, you're not going to have any trouble going too high or too low unless somebody has um, autoimmune, um, you know, any kind of autoimmune condition, especially like MS, uh, I definitely, or any kind of connective tissue autoimmune disease. I love to keep that vitamin D up closer to about 75, because like I said, it's great for the immune system, but it doesn't stimulate it, but it just strengthens that immune system. So I find that it's good for those autoimmune conditions. And if, but of course, if somebody is having a vitamin D around 75 or 80, I keep a little bit closer tabs a little more frequently to make sure it doesn't end up cusping over, you know, over a hundred. Yeah, right. And then of course, uh, with bone density issues, like you mentioned, is someone's uh, osteoporotic, uh, you know, a dosage of, you know, anywhere from 5,000 to 10,000 IUs is not, you know, is not unreasonable. Where someone that is just trying to maintain a certain level, they might do 
2,000, you know, two to 5,000 IUs. Maybe in this case, she's pretty low at 26.5. So maybe she'd start out at uh, 5,000 IUs daily for, you know, three to six months, retest, see where it comes up to. And then from there, depending on how high it goes, you can determine, uh, let's say her number shoots up, you know, quite, you know, you know, significantly higher on 5,000, then she probably cut back, you know, she could probably maintain at 2,000. And the number would stay probably right around your, you know, your 55, like you, like you mentioned. Yeah, exactly. Typically, what I find just with the patients that I've worked with is that females don't need more than 5,000. It tends to start to run a little too high once, you know, because it builds up in the system over time. So usually 5,000 is pretty good keeping it to about 35,000 IUs to, you know, maybe about, you know, 25 to 35,000 IUs per week, because sometimes I'll do Monday through Friday with women, and then we'll take off the weekends. But men can actually do a little bit more, but we still keep an eye on that. But exactly, once you've found that level, then you can just, you know, everybody's different. Um, for me, 5,000 works for me, but I have some that take 2,000, and that keeps their levels up there at 65. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you are taking vitamin D, you don't want to just take it unabated or without any objective information, you want to make sure that you're at least testing those levels so you don't get that, uh, you know, that, um, you know, for a, you know, for a short amount of time, having a level a little over 100 is not a big deal. Um, I'm not even sure. Do you even know what vitamin D toxicity even looks like? I don't know. I don't even, I'd have to it's look. It's not, it's, it's very bad for the, the kidneys and it's not good for the liver. So it ha puts, you know, huge yeah, burdens right. on yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. But I've, I've, I've only run into people that maybe they came in and we test, you know, I've, they'd been taking it on their own and it's about, I think the highest I've ever seen was 120. They didn't of course have any beautiful health, you know, perfect health. There wasn't any issues there, but it was like, okay, we got to back off. I've never really ran into anybody that was taking more than that. But usually the patients that I have usually start off with not taking vitamin D and then I test it and then we add it yeah, in. Right, right, right. Uh, now I know, uh, so vitamin D deficiency, as we're, you know, kind of wrapping this one up, vitamin D deficiency is called rickets. Uh, that I don't think really, I mean, I know nowadays they talk about all these vitamin deficiencies are starting to come back a little bit because we're, you know, we're, in some ways, in America and in a lot of industrialized nations, we're overfed, but under, you know, we have a little bit of, uh, you know, a lot of calories, but under, you know, our nutrition isn't as great from a macro, from a micronutrient perspective. Macronutrient meaning carbs, fats, proteins, calories. Micronutrients meaning the vitamins and min minerals that we need. And in a processed uh, food world, you know, the, the micronutrient content is going to always be different. But that's the thing about vitamin D is that vitamin D does not really, there's not really a lot of food sources. Natural food sources of vitamin D comes from the sun. Uh, so um, that, that's why when you see it low like that in a, you know, in a very, uh, you know, a sun abundant environment, it just questions as to, you know, why is everybody of all different age ranges coming up at either abnormally low or low normal? Uh, I think something else is going on there. Uh, and I, there, I have some theories and I have some ideas and I know there's probably some other ones out there online as to, you know, what that's all about. But uh, sometimes we do see, and I know you've seen it too, you don't do anything with vitamin D, no supplementation at all. The patient starts to feel better. They're sleeping better. They're doing this and their vitamin D just comes up on its own. You know, I know that you and I both have seen that a few times, which is very interesting. Uh, so uh, um, uh, anything else is, uh, to add about uh, Lisa? No, no. Thank you, Lisa, for listening. And also thank you for your question.
Yeah, right. Uh, so I'm not sure what the ENT, you know, is going to do, um, but I would keep looking for more answers or, you know, looking for someone that is able to help you because um, just saying that your numbers are fine, I don't think is sufficient. I think in your case, I don't think that uh, those numbers are fine. I think it warrants a little bit more investigation. Uh, so until next time, I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Take care. Bye now. Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at ProgressYourHealth.com.